0: Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students podcast. This week was United Night, one of the four times a year that middle and high school students come together for a night of worship. Dallas Greenaway taught from Psalm 46 and helped answer the question, what do you do when you don't know what to do? We hope you enjoy the message. Yep, you can go ahead and have a seat. Isn't it fun to worship together? This is probably, that's probably one of my favorite parts of of United Night. Yeah, that's right, Jenny Ann. Worshiping together, high school and middle school, it's one of the few times that it's like just you guys together. Normally, we are separate. If this is your first time with us, we're so glad that you are here. Normally, middle school will be meeting on Sunday mornings, so come join us on Sunday mornings. High school is meeting every Sunday night, and then we get to do these fun united nights every quarter. Uh, my name is Dallas. I am uh, the middle school pastor here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, sounds like some sort of meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, bring... What is that? Oh, no. The little Debbies are back. They're raining. They are raining in this place. Uh, yeah, anytime we have little Debbies, I think I need to remember, hey, you're going to get one thrown at you. Not Well, not at me, but like to me. And maybe you want me to eat it? No, nah, I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to eat it. <laughs> uh, so... Again, we, we're glad you guys are here. Normally, so Sunday mornings, middle school, we just started a, a series called Distinct this morning. I think a lot of people thought it was extinct because I was asking, what's the definition? And they were like, you know, the dinosaurs, the thing that happened to them. Well, some of they were like different from each other. That's good, but that's extinct. Uh, and then high school, you guys have, have been in a series called Heaven and Earth Collide, which has been a really cool series from what I've heard. And uh, tonight's a little bit of a one-off. Uh, I'm sure that you'll be able to, maybe you can make connections between this one morning sermon and the sermons that you guys have been uh, hearing from old Pastor Matt Densky in the house. Uh, I, those have been so good. Tonight, uh, we are going to answer the question, what do you do when you don't know what to do? You can go ahead and write that down. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Um, I'm, I feel like around this time in the fall, I start to think about this place called Carowinds. Does anybody start to think about Carowinds with me? And I think it's because I hear more people talk about how they want to go to scare winds. I don't even know if that's happening with, like, COVID and everything. Uh, I'm not interested in that, okay? I'm really, I, I, get, I get scared, okay, uh, easily. I need my blankie with me or something like that. Uh, I, I got scared. I was notorious for getting scared in my dorm room when I was in college. And uh, people would, like, wear masks, and it got really, really creepy. Uh, but I started, I started to, like, fight back. You know what I'm saying? And so I have developed this reflex where if you, like, pop out around the corner and try to freak me out, like, you're going to get a pop in the face. You know what I'm saying? So that, that's real. Uh, some people here have probably experienced that. And so I'm not really about Scarewinds. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want a lawsuit. I don't want them to fight back because, I mean, I'm not that big, okay? I look, I look big on the stage, but I'm not that big in real life, okay? When, when I come out of the screen, you'll be able to see the difference there. Uh, but I think about Carowinds, and here's one of the memories I have of Carewins is my first time riding The Fury. Has anybody ridden The Fury? Yes. Uh, by, by show of hands, how many of you have ridden the Fury? Anybody ridden the Fury? Okay, not, not as many as I would have thought. How many of you, so the Fury is this massive, it's one of the fastest and one of the tallest roller coasters in North America and I guess the world. And it, it reaches up to like 325 feet in the air at its highest peak. It goes up to like 95 miles an hour at its fastest speeds. It is ridiculous. How many of you have no interest in riding a roller coaster like this? Okay, yeah, that, that's what I thought. So when I, when, I was, when I was in my youth, when I, was, when I was a young man, I had no problems with roller coasters. Like when I was in middle school and high school, I was like itching to go on roller coasters, right? Like get me to Carowinds, uh, get me up. My dream at that time was like, or one of my dreams was to go to Cedar Point, which is in Ohio and has like a ton of crazy roller coasters. I wanted to experience like the best of the best, the fastest of the fast, the highest heights, all the loops, give it to me. Uh, even if I throw up, it's worth it, right? Like that was kind of my, my mindset. Well, a few years ago, it was like one or two years after they had just opened up the Fury. I hadn't been to Carowinds since this had opened up. And, uh, you know, I saw it open, and I was like, yeah, that'd be fun. And then a couple years went by, and I got older, okay? And, uh, and it was just a few years ago that we took a group of students up there, and I was driving one of these 15-passenger vans up to Carowinds. And I, I got in the van, and I said, I'm probably going to ride the Fury today, And then students and leaders started talking about the Fury, and about halfway up to Carowinds, I said, I'm not going to ride the Fury today, right? And then, like, as we're pulling into the parking lot, it's like, you know, you're, you're paying the fee to get in, you're paying for tickets or whatever. And now you're stuck, right? There's no going back because you just paid an obscene amount of money to get into Carowinds. And it's like right as we get into the parking lot, this is where all of the peer pressure began, okay? Like, like people had kind of mentioned to me, hey, we're going to ride the Fury, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, you're going to ride the Fury. I'm going to stand by and just wait for you to you know, pass out once you get off it or something. And I, I, just, I realized at that point that I was old. And uh, I realized at that point that I, I, I think I was scared of heights, but all the peer pressure was mounting on me, right? Like the, the, the students in the car that I, I had known for years, they're, they're pressuring me like, hey, you're going to ride this? Leader's are like, yeah, we're going to ride it. And eventually when we get out of the van and we're walking into Carewinds, it became, hey, not only are we going to ride it, but that's the first thing that we're going to ride today, right? Like we're, we're there early. There's not a lot of people there. And now this is the first thing that we're going to ride. And so in the, in the back of my mind, again, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do this. Right. And so sure enough, we go over to the line and I'm still thinking, no, we're not going to do this. I was, I was caught in this moment of like, so what do I do? How, how can I get out of this? How can I escape this trap? How can I avoid sure death on the Fury 325, right? Like, how can I avoid all 350 feet of height on this thing and every mile per hour? How can I avoid it? What am I supposed to do? And I'll leave you there on a cliffhanger. But haven't we all been in a similar situation like this? Haven't we all been there? Where we're asking, what what are we supposed to do? We feel stuck, we, we feel trapped, and, and maybe it's something silly like riding a roller coaster. I mean, I mean, honestly, it's not that silly for those of us who it's a, a point of a fear in our life, right? But, but maybe it's something like that, or maybe it's something a little more serious. What do you do when you don't know what to do? It could be uh, anxiety and depression that you're dealing with, right? You've been dealing with it for years, and you feel like it's never, ever going to go away. What, what are you supposed to do with it? You're maybe at your wits end for trying different medications or going to different doctors or different counselors or asking people in your friend group or whatever it might be, but what are, you, what are you supposed to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do about the things that are going on in your home? And maybe it's just started or maybe it's been going on for a while, but you, have, you don't know where it's going to end, right? Where, where do you go? What are you supposed to do? You, you feel trapped. Maybe it's decisions about who you are. You're, you're having some pretty serious identity struggles, just trying to, trying to figure out who am I, what am I good at, what's my purpose on this earth. And you've got all these different directions that you're being pulled in, all these different things that seem appealing. And hey, maybe that's the way that I'm supposed to go. You're stuck asking this question, what, what am I supposed to do? What do I do when I don't know what to do? Maybe for some of you, it's the future. Maybe you just found out that your family's moving and you have no idea what that holds, or you're looking as a senior towards college or maybe not college. You're, not, you're just not sure what's it supposed to be. What do you do when you don't know what to do? There's a number of different things. It could be issues in your friend group. It could be stuff that you're just battling internally. Maybe you wouldn't say it's anxiety or, or depression. Like maybe for you it's, it's shame and, and guilt. What am I supposed to do with all of this stuff I'm sure that we all have something in our life or have had something, if not, you will, where you're wondering, what do I do? Because I honestly don't know what to do. And if you were like me in some of those more serious things, if you were like me when, when I was at Carowinds, I, I was in some ways like paralyzed by this fear, right? Like, if I, if I choose to not ride the fury, then I'm going to break all these people's hearts and, and they're going to be kind of upset with me. And maybe they won't ride any rides with me. I mean, I don't know. But if I choose to ride it, you know, I'm dead, basically, is what I'm thinking in the back of my mind. It, it, it feels like I'm caught between two not great decisions. What do you do when you don't know what to do? So we're going to look at Psalm 46 tonight. This is a psalm, uh, in particular, verse 10 is probably one that you guys have heard before. Uh, but we're going to look at Psalm 46 and see, is there an answer for what are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to turn when we don't know what to do? Psalm 46 is in the Old Testament. If you are familiar with the Bibles, it's kind of split into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament is full of things that a lot of people actually struggle with, right? It's, it's almost like rated R, uh, not like a pirate funny R, but like rated R, like it wouldn't even be shown on some of the, the shows that we are able to watch on TV. There's a lot of stuff that people people don't understand. Why is all that stuff in there? Why is every, all, all this graphic stuff so, uh, in there, right? Why is it in the Old Testament? Other people are like, man, this, this is awesome. There's wars, there's battles. So there's there's different sides that people fall on. Hey, I love the Old Testament or I don't understand the Old Testament or why is it even a part of what we're doing? I mean, big picture answer there is, the Old Testament and the Bible as a whole is, is a picture of humanity and how God has been over and over again gracious and faithful to humanity despite our brokenness, our failures, our faithlessness towards God and each other. And the Old Testament, as hard to read sometimes as it is, as graphic as some of the content is, it's, it's a picture that God was still God through all of that mess. And all throughout the Old Testament, there's plenty of circumstances and situations where people were asking the question, what am I supposed to do? Because I have no idea what I'm doing. Sometimes they would ask even this question, which I think is kind of similar, and maybe you're asking that as well. God, here's a situation I'm in. Where in the world are you right now? Where are you right now? Sometimes that's how that question comes out. So all throughout the Psalms, you see people asking that question. You see people seeking for answers. And we find in Psalm 46 a group of people who, they're, they're asking similar questions, right? They're wondering, where, where does my help come from? Where, where do I find the answers to this, this question when I don't know what to do? What am I supposed to do? Psalm 46, verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. Which, remember, the Psalms are actually songs, S-O-N-G-S, and so Selah would have been a musical uh, phrase for like pausing or stopping, right? And so we're actually going to pause and stop and reflect on what we've just read. But first things first, right? God is our refuge and strength. So you might already have the answer. Where are you supposed to turn? It's to God. But maybe you've you've thought that before, right? And it feels maybe a little too, too simple or too easy. Of course, God's our refuge and strength, but practically, what does that look like? How do I experience that? How do I access that? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Man, that's really, really good news. But if you don't know what to do with that, which is where we're going tonight, then maybe it's not... Not extremely helpful for you right now. So we're going to find in just a short little bit, how how do we experience that? How do we enter into that? How do we go to that refuge and strength? It's good to know, but now how do I take steps towards it or into it? Therefore, we will not fear. This is what it means that God is our refuge and strength. We will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, though everything else is crazy right now things that I I can't control, even things like the mountains and the waters, everything else is shaking. Maybe that's how you feel about your life or at least that certain area of life where you're asking, yeah, what am I supposed to do when I don't know what to do? Even then, this is really good news, God is our refuge and strength. Verse four, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The God of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Pause. Man, this is really good. God is our refuge and strength. All the things that are out of control, right? It talks about streams. It talks about water. It talks about land. It talks about all these natural things that we can't control. Everything in our life that we can't control, God is still sovereign over. He knows the ins and outs of what you're going through. He knows exactly what you need, when you need it, long before you know that you need it. He's still fully in control. He still remains our refuge and our strength when everything is is wild. Man, that's really good news. There's almost like a contrast, right? Because we just talked about water that was crazy, out of control. God's has a city where he, may, he He uses streams to make a city glad, right? Just God is still fully in control. Verses eight and nine. Come, behold. We're getting to the point. We're getting to the point where we see. So, how, but how do I how do I go there? Like I want to experience that. How do I experience the the calms, calm waters? How do I experience God being in control? Come, behold the works of the Lord. How He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Even, even people and armies and nations, God is in control. He is mighty over. He is, is more powerful than all of those things. And so for, for me and, and for you, who we, we, maybe it's a, a fear of what certain people will think. Maybe we're caught in this question about what do we do with the way this person is treating us? What do we do with what we feel like we're getting from our our schools or people in them or from our neighbors, some of the conflict that's between them, or it could be any, any number of things. God is still fully in control of that. Makes the war cease to the end of the earth. He is a good God. So how do we enter into this? Is, I, don't, I don't know about you, but when I am in this place of fear, when I am in this place of asking, so what am I supposed to do because I don't know what to do? It Here's my first reaction is I try to figure it out on my own. I, I try to find refuge. I try to find my strength in something that I can control, right? A lot of times my first reaction is not to turn to God, as we're going to see in just a minute. It's to try to do my own thing, to try to build my own fortress. If I'm supposed to get into the fortress of God, normally my first reaction is to actually try to build my own fortress and find the answers on my own. Ask ask people, which isn't, isn't necessarily wrong. Or even sometimes Google an answer or, or try to find something online. Help me with my problem. Or if it's something that I can physically grab and take hold of, I want to I I do it. I want to I own it. I want to control it. I want to fix it. I want to make it do what I want it to do and try to find the answer on my own, try to seek my own refuge, be my own strength. But God's calling us into his refuge, his strength. He is our refuge and strength. So how in the world do we access that? How do we step into that? How do we, how do we live into God being our refuge and our strength? Here it is in verse 10, be still. And know that I am God. Is that the answer you were expecting? Or were you expecting, hey, like, come to church more. Or get into a small group. Or make sure that you're, you're, you're asking the right list of people. Certain pastors or certain people who've written books. But Psalm 46.10 tells us, be still and know that I am God. So d- does that mean that, well, I, I just get down and I-, I take a seat and I just, I just wait? And may- maybe I read some scripture or maybe I try to, I mean, may- maybe sometimes. Actually, the original word for be still, it's just one word. It's the word rafa. Everybody say rafa. Rafa. The original word for be still is rafa. And there's some different translations about it. This is pretty much, this is the only time in the Old Testament where Rafa was translated as be still. Here's some other words that that Rafa could be translated as on the screen right there. And that's kind of the phonetic pronunciation. Be still, Rafa, here's what it means to be still. Release the tension. To let go. To stop fighting. To give up. Isn't that kind of the opposite sometimes of what we want to do or what we attempt to do when we are trying to find an answer to something going on in our life? Remember I just said, when I'm in that place, when I'm afraid, where I don't know where to turn, I try to do all the stuff to make things right. I try to take the right steps. I try to go to the right people. But here's what the scriptures are telling us. No, be still. Let go. Release the tension. Stop fighting. Give up. My my kids have gotten into this show on YouTube. I don't for better or worse. It's uh it's this family and it's mostly just about the kids, and it's called the Ninja Kids. Have you guys ever seen them? the ninja kids. Yeah, it's kind of a love-hate thing, right? I don't know how much longer I let them watch it, but it's, it's kind of interesting. And recently they had uh, this kid, basically the ninja kids are, it, it's a family of like four or five kids, and all of these kids, it's like from the moment they were born, they've started teaching them karate and gymnastics and all these ridiculous things, right? So this like four-year-old kid can do backflips out the wazoo, and it's just, it's insane. It's things I, I only wish my body could do, right? Uh, but the the Ninja Kids, they recently had this this guy on there who is a sumo wrestler, okay? His name is Sumo Yama, and apparently he's the biggest recorded Japanese person ever, okay? Which is ridiculous. He at one point was 660 pounds, okay? Can you imagine? And he, he just was he was just a big guy all around. But but sumo wrestlers, they, you know, apparently they take care of their bodies and they actually do work out and, and they're really fit. Well, they they had this sumo guy on to, you know, kind of make a good video for YouTube and whatever. And it worked because it interested my four-year-old a whole lot. He's watched it like five times, unfortunately. And one of the things that they do in the video is sumo yama versus these kids who probably the oldest is like 14 or 15 or something. He versus the kids in a tug of war, okay, which you're, it's, it's not happening, all right, tug, tug of war is difficult in itself when you have like even weighted people, but when you're talking about a 660-pound man who has trained for like 20-something years in sumo and in the art of using his body and using his weight, it's it's over, it's done. And so the first kid gets up, and he is the biggest kid, uh, but he again, he's like 15 years old, maybe he's like 160 pounds, maybe, and he looks pretty muscular. He can do all the flips and everything, but he's he's got no shot. And eventually right he's he's pulling, he's tugging, his feet are like dragging into the grass and making marks in the backyard. And I don't know if it was his dad who yelled out, "Stop messing up my yard," or what it was, but but the kid has to let go. Because he realizes that he cannot win this tug of war. He cannot win this fight. He has to just release. He has to stop fighting. He has to just, just give up and let Sumo Yama have his way. Because if you don't, it's going to rip up the yard. It's going to rip the skin off your hands. It's going to, you know, they were going into a pool. So theoretically, he's safe, but there's still concrete in the pool. I could easily see him getting pulled from one end to the other. I mean, it could be really, really bad. So he had to release. He had to let go. He had to give up. And he didn't necessarily win then, but he definitely was a lot safer when he did that. And I, I, th- I think, I, at least it's this way for me, and maybe I'm only speaking to myself. But, dude, sometimes we're on the other end against that 660-pound sumo wrestler. You know what I mean? We're, we're fighting, and we're pulling, and we're giving it all we've got, but there's no chance that we can do this thing on our own. And God's not asking us to. He's not asking us to fight the fight on our own. He's not asking us to have all the answers. He's not asking us to have it figured out or be able to take full control or any of that. He's saying, hey, be still. Let it go. I've got you. Release the tension. Stop fighting. It was only after a bunch of the other kids came in to the sumo wrestler thing that they actually were able to beat sumo yama, which was pretty amazing in its own. It's pretty wild. That's not where it ends, not just the letting go, not just releasing the tension, not just stopping fighting, not just giving up and letting God, but be still, Rapha, verse 10, and know that I am God. That when you let go, that when you release, that when you stop fighting, that you would be reminded of all of who God is. That you would remember that he is in full control. That you would remember that he is the source of wisdom and has the answers to all of your questions. That you would remember that he loves you even though you're asking, where in the world are you? If you're a loving God, well, this doesn't feel very loving. But when we be still, when we rafa and know God, when we trust him, when we lean in and say, I can't do this on my own, but but I know that you are with me. This is how we step into the refuge and strength of God. And yeah, eventually he may call you and invite you to talk to other people, talk to your friends, talk to wise mentors. He may bring other passages of scripture to mind. He, he will provide the way from there in his own time. But what if when we had these serious questions these very real circumstances where we don't know what to do, we've tried everything, we're holding tight to this rope, so to speak. What would it look like if we just dropped the rope, released the tension, stopped fighting, and went to the one who is our refuge and strength? How might that change our next move? How might that change our perception of what we're going through? How might it change the words that we use because we're at this point of frustration and everybody around us knows that something's up? How might it change our hearts if we were to Rafa and know that he is God? Here's kind of maybe one of the best parts. Whether we do this or not, Whether we're still and know that he is God or not, verse 10 continues to say, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God is going to keep being God. He's going to keep being awesome. He's going to keep being him. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Man, I've tried to build a lot of my own fortresses. I've tried to do it on my own many, many times in many different circumstances. But I'm telling you from experience, the times that I I have realized that this is true, that I don't have to do it on my own, that when I let go, and maybe it kind of sounds cheesy, but I let God, man, it is so much sweeter. It's so much sweeter. Back to my Kerwin story. I know I kind of left you hanging there a little bit. I get, I get up to the line, and inevitably, I'm in line. And it feels like the parking lot moment where there's no going back. We've paid for the tickets. I'm going to look like a total chicken, a total wuss if I back out and step out of the line, right? But I can feel like my stomach is bubbling. Things are, are happening in me. Like, I'm ready to throw up before I even get on the ride. And, uh, but eventually, we get up to the thing. And the, the whole time, here's what I kind of started to tell myself people way smarter than me made this thing, right? There's been thousands of people who have already ridden this thing. What's the worst that could happen? It's only like one out of 10 that flies off the tracks and people get hurt, right? That's an exaggeration, okay, if you're afraid of roller coasters. But eventually, I I just kind of had to talk myself into, hey, nope, this is what's true. Yes, I might get sick. Yes, I might uh, feel a little woozy the rest of the day. But I, I do want to ride this. There's a part of me that does want to ride this. And, and in the end, I'm going to be okay. But I had to be reminded of like what's true. And so I, I get on the thing. I close my eyes up the first, like going all the way up the 325 feet. I closed my eyes down the first huge drop and then I opened them wide, raised my arms and the rest of the way, it really was like my favorite ride of the day, okay? I may never ride it again, but, uh, but it was a lot of fun. It was a, it was a lot of fun. But, but in the moment, I had to remind myself, okay, whew, I'm not gonna die. I'm gonna be okay. Again, all, all those things, people way smarter than me, all those things. And I think in a, a very silly way, That that's part of what this looks like. Be still. I'm still here. I'm still breathing. Know that I'm God. He is. God is still in control. He knows all the ins and outs. He knows everything I need. He knew I was going to be here long before I got here. What do I do, God? What's my step? What do you do when you don't know what to do? You let go. You release You stop fighting and you let God. Jesus was the greatest example ever of this, right? Jesus never did anything on his own. He only ever did what the father told him. Even thinking to the garden of Gethsemane where he's like, Lord, is there any other way right before he went to the cross? Is there any other way in the end? In the end, he finished by by saying your will be done, not mine. Jesus was a perfect picture of what this looks like, to be still and know that I'm God, to trust, even in the questioning, even in the thoughts of like, but what if it went down this way? Be still and know that I am God. What about you? Where are the places in your life where you're asking that question, what am I supposed to do? What do I do because I don't know what to do? What does it look like for you and me to be still and know that he is God in those moments? Let me pray for us. God, there are many of us in this room who are going through this kind of situation. We're at a loss. Where do we turn with the thoughts that we're having? Where do we turn with our doubts? Where do we turn with our questions? Where do we turn in the conflict with other people? What are we supposed to do about our future? We all have questions like this. Would you help each of us to be reminded of Psalm 46 and to be reminded of the the perfect example of Jesus who always did this. Help us to be still, to let go, to stop fighting. And remind us that you are God and we are not. That we don't have to do it on our own. We can come to you, our refuge and strength.